Hey, this is Dan Hansis alongside Chris Wessling. Hey, Dan. Mark Sessler and the boss, Greg Rosenthal. We're the Around the NFL podcast. Check us out three times a week as we discuss the latest NFL news as it happens. Always, of course, with a touch of mirth. Subscribe at NFL.com slash podcasts, iTunes, and Stitcher. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ and Bucky from the same hotel in St. Petersburg, Florida, but not the same room. What's going on, Buck? <laughs> not too much. What's going on, DJ? We, uh, we're out here for the East-West Shrine Game, so we're out here for practice all week long. we got the Shrine Game on the NFL Network on Saturday, and then uh, head out to Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl week of practices, and then that game the following Saturday. We've got the Championship games coming up this weekend in the NFL. We'll get a chance to preview those games uh, a little bit later on in the week. I think we have another episode coming up on Thursday. Uh, but, Buck, for today, I thought maybe we jump into the top 50. I just released my top 50 list. You've got your top five positional list coming out. Um, so I don't want to totally uh, steal your thunder here because, we, you know, that's something to look forward to here. But I, I might ask you a couple questions about that as we go through this. But I thought we'd just kind of rip through this top 50 and – and uh, and come up with some of the uh, the questions that have been asked. You ready to go? Yeah, uncle. I think you probably should explain because uh, sometimes we talk about vertical boards versus horizontal boards. Kind of yeah. explain how you go about the process of determining your top of the guys and how you rank them. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, look for me. I go through and I I kind of start the process backwards from what the. Uh, from from what the scouts do um normally as a scout you come through this time of year they've done all the senior kids and then as the juniors come out they'll slowly get the juniors done but you know traditionally the juniors are the better players so i'll try and guess which juniors are going to come out try and get a lot of the juniors done early and i actually have some catch-up work to do on a lot of these senior players Uh, but when i put my top 50 list together this is how i rank them you know by grade um so I don't. I don't necessarily look at it. If I'm with a team and we don't have a quarterback, obviously I would move, you know, a quarterback up higher in, on my list, maybe than than uh, his grade would indicate. This is if I'm, I'm scouting for an invisible team, and uh, and taking need out of the equation, just my highest graded players. So I stack them up uh, a one to fifty that way. And when you do that, like uh, as I'm looking at my list, I have, you know three or four players with the same grade at the top, you know, so then it's just kind of shuffling, okay, what order do I like those players? And um, it's really kind of breaking ties and separating. And the, the terminology I use is this time of year, when you're doing what we're doing or working with a team, let's just try and get these players in the right neighborhood. We've got plenty of time to get them in the correct house. Um, but that's why when you look at my list, you'll see some players at the same position kind of stacked together because I have the same grade, the same position i'm going to put them in together on my list and we're going to try and sort them out as we go through the process no that makes sense now um as we go forward you talk about these guys being clustered together with a combine or what kind of what kind of stuff will force the movement where you can restack and reshuffle the order like what will cause you to change the order of this top 50 yeah, well, I mean, more, look, the combine, you know, what they run can have an effect on it. How big they are. I mean, so many of these juniors, we don't even know their height, heights or weights. So, you know, like a Jabril Peppers, for example. Jabril Peppers listed on the Michigan website is six foot one. I went and stood next to him at the Orange Bowl. There is no way he's six foot one. I, I'd be surprised if he's six feet tall. So, 
Um, guys like that, I want to see officially how big they are, and that can affect some things. More than anything else, when you're first trying to get this first board up, I'm watching usually three games on these guys. Some of them, maybe only even two. But for the most part, I've got three games in. Well, that's to get my initial look on these guys and, and get the 50 in. Well, as we go through the process, I'm going to have a chance to watch more guys, uh, more guys, new guys I haven't seen yet are going to jump into this top 50. And then once that happens, I'm going to have a chance to circle back and dig a little bit deeper, you know, like those clusters. Like I'll give you a, a quick example here on this list. I have – at uh, my 19th, 20th, and 21st players are Tredavious White, the corner from LSU, Tease Tabor, the corner from Florida, and Quincy Wilson, the other corner from Florida. All three of those guys, the same grade. I have them stacked all together. I'm going to have time here once we get a little bit later on the process to just go, I'm going to take those three guys, and I'm going to go watch three more games of them back to back to back, and that's going to help me really get those guys sorted. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I go yeah, about I it, but um, – any surprise for you, Bucky? I'll, I'll give you my uh, I'll give you my top ten here, and then I'll let you uh, uh, hit me up with any questions that you have, or, or maybe what stood out to you. Miles Garrett, number one from Texas A&M, uh, pass rusher. Then I've got safety Malik Hooker from Ohio State, second corner Marshawn Lattimore from from Ohio State, third Jamal Adams, one of your favorites, Bucky, is my fourth player, the safety from LSU. Jonathan Allen, who everybody knows, comes in at five. Fournette is six. Reuben Foster, the linebacker from Alabama, seven. This might surprise some people. Corey Davis, the wide receiver from Western Michigan, eight, followed by Mike Williams, wide receiver from Clemson, nine. That's another example of two guys with the same grade. Stack them together, and let's see how it sorts itself out. And then finally at 10, Solomon Thomas, who's a, a really talented pass rusher from Stanford. Yeah, you have a couple of surprises uh, within the top ten. Um, there are a couple of different ways that I would go if I'm looking at it just in the top ten. Um, Malik Hooker, I think, is probably going to surprise some people in terms of being not only just being a top five pick, but the fact that people that have paid a lot of attention to Big Ten football will say, how can you put Malik Hooker over Jabril Peppers? Jabril Peppers was the Big Ten defensive player. Heisman finalist, right? Heisman finalist. Absolutely. So explain what was it about Malik Hooker's game that led you to make him the top safety in this list? Well, to me, it's, it's uh, you know, you see it in the playoffs, too. We talk about explosive plays, and we think about on offense, game-changing plays on defense. He makes game-changing plays. He's going to win you football games with the, with the way he attacks the football, makes plays on the ball, and that, to me, is what separates him from a Jabril Peppers. Jabril Peppers had one pick. Now, he's, he's you know, playing out of position with playing linebacker. He, uh, you know, he'll shoot some gaps, but... Um, he does not have nearly the instincts or the cover skills, man or in zone, that, that you have there in Malik Hooker. And I've compared him in the past. We've talked about it to Ed Reed. Uh, I got to Baltimore after Ed's rookie year, I believe, right after uh, he started his career there. So spent a lot of time around him. I didn't scout him at Miami. But uh, Malik Hooker, in terms of guys I've actually scouted in college, has the best ball skills of anybody. And I know, you know, I know people are going to say he started for one year there. There's a reason both those safeties came out early at Ohio State. They weren't going to hold this dude off much longer. And uh, and talking to some people that went through there, we were talking about this at dinner tonight, Buck. I, you know, talked to, to folks at Ohio State, said that uh, during the year of practice where Malik Hooker uh, was on the scout team, they went back at the end of the year and tallied it up. He picked off 40 balls 
during the season, which is absurd. Um, I went back and watched all of his tackle production from his freshman year, which he wasn't playing a whole lot. He was hell on wheels on the kickoff team. So we talk about, I love Deshaun Watson's line that he used the other day. I'm going to bloom where I'm planted. Um, you know, when Malik Hooker got on the football field, he made it happen. You know, um, he's a very talented player. Uh, he's a natural center fielder to me, meaning that he is your deep middle safety. He's your guy that plays over the top of the defense. He doesn't allow the ball to fall over the top. You give the Ed Reed comparison. I'll talk about the Earl Thomas um, comparison just in terms of how he plays, the range that he's able to cover from numbers to numbers. That is uncommon for a young safety to be able to cover that much ground, but it speaks to his athleticism, his awareness, his anticipation. And more importantly, the fact that he has seven picks this year, three picks, sixes, the way the game is played now on defense, you have to take the ball away, and it's an added bonus if you can take it away and score. The fact that he was able to do that certainly enhances his value for teams looking for a game change in the middle of the field. Yeah, and, and to me it's, uh, you know, when you, when you look at the other safety there, Jamal Adams, who I love, I, I have – big grade on him as well different style um you know I, I think he can play a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage than hooker um attack just attack the line of scrimmage and make big time big time impact plays in the run game whereas hooker will have some missed tackles every now and then i don't really worry about it but you're talking about really a true high safety and hooker jamal adams can play high but he's at his best truthfully when he's when he's underneath and covering and attacking the line of scrimmage that's what he does best um I agree. The second thing that stood out to me, Corey Davis over <laughs> Mike Williams. Um, I think there's some people who are familiar with Corey Davis, the wide receiver from Western Michigan, um, a guy who's a very smooth and polished route runner, a guy who really dominated the max. But to think that he might be the number one receiver, that is going to surprise a lot of people when it comes down to it. Yeah, look, it, and I don't want to take anything away from Mike, Mike Williams. I love him. Um, he is he's a big power forward out there that uh, even though he's cover, he's always open. He can make so many plays on those 50-50 balls. I, I love his competitiveness after the catch. Corey Davis, to me, though, um, is a better route runner. He's a better route runner. He's more precise. They ask him to do some other things in that offense. Um, I think he comes in a little bit ahead in, in that regard. After the catch, he's competitive as well. I think he's going to run a little bit better. Um, then Mike Williams, I mean, again, I, I won't take any away from Mike Williams. I think he's a really, really good player. It's similar mm-hmm. to me when we had the, the Kevin White-Amari Cooper debate, right? I ended yep. up going with Kevin White one spot over Cooper on my list. I had him at two and three, I believe. Now, Kevin White's been hurt, so it's tough to get you know a real accurate uh, portrayal of what he's going to be, but we can all admit that uh, you know the Raiders are feeling pretty good about their selection there of Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper was a better route runner coming out of college, and then you had Kevin White, who was the big, fast, you know, physical freak. Right. Um, and in this case, you know, the the more precise route runner has had the more success early on. So that's kind of what led me to this decision. You know, I don't necessarily disagree in terms of when you talk about route running prowess, his ability to easily fit into an offense that places a premium on being able to create open opportunities by uh, dukes and selected head fakes at the top of the route. What you get in Mike Williams is your prototypical number one receiver. Big, physical, uh, can do the dirty work outside and also in between the numbers. 
but also has the ability to win the back shoulder phase. When I looked at Mike Williams, and I think we talked about this comparison, he kind of reminded me of Dez Bryant. Just kind of a physical freak on the edge, kind of overwhelms you with his physicality and toughness. And so if you're in offense in need of a guy like that, he certainly fit the bill. But you have those guys stacked right on top of each other, eight, nine. It's not really a huge thing, but it's just maybe a surprise that we will open up the list and see Corey Davis listed ahead of Mike Williams when all of the conversation throughout the college season has been about Mike Williams being the best receiver in the league, best receiver in one, football. One thing I'll say on, on Corey Davis, too, that Corey Davis um, was officially measured by scouts in the spring. So he was 6027, meaning just right at 6'3", 212 mm-hmm. pounds. So he is not – I mean, Mike Williams is going to – might be closer to 225, 230 um, at 6'3", but Corey Davis is not a little guy. In fact, if you look at his measurables – and you compare him to a guy that used to use the phrase. I want to say he said something about getting his popcorn ready. Uh, don't recall his name, but uh, exactly yeah. the same uh, measurables there. So he's a big he's a big dude as well. So it means to see with those wide receivers how they end up sorting themselves out. When I go through, uh, let's go through uh, eleven to twenty here. I'll just rip off the names real quick, uh, and maybe maybe just give me one one question on eleven to twenty, and we'll do that every ten. You ready? Okay, I got it. You gonna read off the names? Yeah, I'll read off the names there in case people haven't okay. seen the list yet. You can find it at NFL.com if you haven't seen it. But uh, I've got Dalvin Cook from Florida State, the running back, 11. Sidney Jones, the corner from Washington, comes in at 12. David Njoku from Miami, the tight end I'm a big fan of, is next. they got Ryan Rancic, the uh, Wisconsin tackle. Deshaun Kaiser, the first quarterback on the list, comes in at 15. Forrest Lamp, who's a tackle who I project to guard from Western Kentucky. Derek Barnett ultra-productive uh, edge rusher for Tennessee, O.J. Howard, the tight end from Alabama, and then I get into those three corners that I mentioned earlier, Tredavious White, uh, Tease Tabor, Quincy Wilson. So that, that gets you through 21 on my list. Hey, I think the conversation is going to stop right on Deshaun Kaiser being the first quarterback on the board. A lot of people have um, kind of dismissed his performance this year, have kind of talked about the struggles, and many can't envision him being the first quarterback off the board. What did you see in his game that led you to believe that he could be the best quarterback in this draft? Well, you know, I had a chance to go see him live a couple times. I saw him uh, last year in a game, and then this year I saw him um, against Texas live. And they didn't win that game, but he unfortunately was kind of jerked in and out of the game a little bit with Malik Zaire. But, man, he looked like a big-time player in that game. Get a chance to just go down there on the field and see him. He's got – ideal size he's got plenty of arm strength so the physical traits are there um i saw somebody that played comfortable in the pocket even though um you know the production wasn't there this year when you really study him i think you can explain some of it away there's a lot of drop passes and i'll get the numbers officially on that how that stacks up with the other quarterbacks but you have a lot of drop passes you've got a couple games in awful weather which i can kind of you know throw out a little bit playing in a monsoon i'm not going to hold that against him and then just the overall talent around him is not that great. So um, he's not a perfect prospect. He's made some poor decisions uh, on the field this year. Um, but he's got a lot to work with. He's, and everything I've been told off the field is, is pretty good. So, uh, you know, it, there's, no, there's no quarterback prospect in this draft that gets me super fired up. But if I had to pick one to work with, uh, I like what he, he presents from a skill set, size, all that stuff. And and being able to play inside the pocket, work through progressions, all that stuff. I, I've seen him do it at a high level at times. 
You know, the funny thing is, like, we agree on Deshaun Kaiser and where he should fit. I think he is the top quarterback in the draft class. A lot of what I like from Deshaun Kaiser are the same attributes. Love his size because I do believe he's a prototypical franchise quarterback in terms of how he looks when he walks out. Uh, I like the arm talent because I do believe he makes big boy throws. He can fit it in windows. He can throw with time and touch and anticipation. He can use all aspects of the field to target. And you talk about the numbers not being what is up to snuff. Touchdown to interception ratio is 26 to 9. His completion percentage isn't necessarily what you want because it's under 60 at 58.7. But when you look at how he plays and what he does in terms of with the ball, you love that. And I think the added advantage, his athleticism, the same things that you would like to do with Deshaun Watson and some of the other mobile passers or mobile playmakers that you have at a position, Deshaun Kaiser can do it, but you get it in a bigger package. To me, that's what separates him a little bit from the other guys. Yeah, I believe it's it's 18 rushing touchdowns over the last two years. I think Deshaun Watson had 20, so um, it's not that uh, not that much difference there. It just comes in in a bigger package. And we talk about the the completion percentage. I mean, you watched some of that North Carolina State game, but it it was a monsoon. He's nine for 26 in that game. So you know stuff like that. You got to kind of you got to take it all into context here. Um, he's had some. Uh, you know, some games I'm sure he'd like to have back, but overall, this year he had he only had one game where he threw two picks. You know, he he wasn't out there having those three, four, five pick games, anything like that. It just you know, you, you look at the Texas game, he throws for five touchdowns, no picks, and rushes for 77 yards and a touchdown, they lose. So yeah. I mean, it's uh you know, it was he's he's an interesting case study. I'm anxious to see him as we go through the rest of the process, but um, as of right now. Uh, that's where I have him. Uh, let me run through some of these other ones here and uh, see what else you come up with. We've got the 22 is Tack McKinley, edge rusher from UCLA. Taco Charlton, another uh, big, big physical edge rusher from Michigan. Buda Baker from Washington, a little undersized safety. A couple running backs. You'll see these guys stacked together for me. Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara from Tennessee. Uh, then John Ross, receiver from Washington. Garrett Bowles, tackle from Utah. Uh, Gary and Conley from Ohio State, another secondary player corner there. And then uh, Jared Davis, linebacker from Florida. You know, um, my eyes immediately took me to Alvin Kamara, and we briefly talked about Alvin Kamara last week. So talk about what Alvin Kamara does that kind of intrigues you as one of these top running backs. Because you have him ahead of some notable names. Deontay Foreman is one that I know people are going to say, how can Alvin Kamara, a guy that was a part-time player, kind of merit or want more consideration than a guy like Foreman? Sure. But he, uh, he can do everything. He, he's explosive. He's got quickness. He can run with power. You'll, you'll see plays where he breaks five, six tackles on a run. It was actually a screen pass I want to say against Vanderbilt where he did that. Uh, Texas A&M, he's phenomenal. So you got somebody who can run with speed, can run with power, he can catch, and he's competitive as a blocker. So I've seen him do a little bit of everything. In fact, down here at the East-West game, uh, I was talking to a buddy with another team and said, really, he's kind of like, Dalvin Cook light. I mean, there's really, you know, when yep. he doesn't get all the touches that Dalvin has throughout his career, but he does a lot of the same things, and you might be able to get him a little bit more of a bargain price. In terms of Texas running back Dante Foreman, um, the production is, is outstanding. Don't take that away from him. I just thought he ran a little bit high. I didn't think he was a, a, a real physical runner. I didn't think he was explosive. I thought he was kind of a one-speed guy. So, um, 
you know, a tremendous college production. He is a 250-pound guy. I didn't necessarily think he played to that size. And, uh, you know, there's just so many good backs in this draft. I did not have him in my top 50. It wasn't that I hadn't got to him. I just uh, I wasn't a huge fan at this point in the process. No, I mean, a lot of it depends because we can sit and always talk about it being a pass-happy league, a quarterback-driven league. So a lot of the things that you do in building the team offensively is about the passing game. And if you're a 250-pound guy and you don't offer anything in the passing game, it's kind of hard to have high value for him. So I can certainly see why Alvin Kamara would be more valuable. Uh, let's take a look from 31 to 40, see if any surprises stand out. Yep, let's go. Uh, this is quarterback corner here. 31, Trubisky from UNC, the quarterback. 32, Deshaun Watson, Clemson. I'm sure we'll get to him. Jabril Peppers, who we touched on a little bit earlier, is at 33. T.J. Watt is an interesting player, uh, edge rusher from Wisconsin. He comes in at 34. Uh, Gerald Everett, tight end from South Alabama. We're going to see him at the Senior Bowl next week, one of my favorite players in the draft. Uh, Charles Harris, another guy who at, who's at 36 for me right now. Um, and, and he's one of those guys, when you, when you do this, you put this list together, he's one of the guys I'd say keep an eye on him. He's got a chance to really move up once I do some more on him because I really liked him when I watched him over the summer. They changed schemes, changed defenses. Um, so it kind of didn't do him a, a, a real uh, credit there. So he's somebody to keep an eye on that could move up. But Dory Jackson, who just came out, corner from SC, 37. Tim Williams from Alabama, edge rusher, 38. Malik McDowell, a big defensive tackle from Michigan State, 39. And 40 is uh, is Cam Robinson, the tackle from Alabama. I'm guessing you're going to want to go quarterbacks here, Buck. Well, and I think the question that you would have, because a lot of the people that watch ACC football would have questions or concerns about how you can rate Mitch Trubisky over Deshaun Watson when team when people have looked at the ACC and they've seen Deshaun Watson have so much success. What makes Mitch Trubisky considered a better pro than Deshaun Watson at this point in the process? Yeah, look, we've we've talked about it a little bit before, but um I think Mitch Trubisky is just a little more accurate quarterback right now. Um I think he's a, his his footwork is is good. I look at somebody that uh, I've seen him work quickly through progressions, which I've seen Deshaun Watson do that as well. I just haven't seen Deshaun, you know, from from game to game that can be inconsistent. And to me, more than anything else, both guys can move around or mobile. Um, To me, it really just comes down to the accuracy and decision-making. That, to me, is what separated them at this point in time. Now, obviously, Trubisky has not played nearly as much football as Deshaun Watson has. But uh, I've just seen – I've just seen some bad misses from Deshaun that scares me a little bit. I like him. I, I like both guys. There's another reason why I have them paired up together here. I got the exact same grade on them. Um, when I, you know, we've talked about it before. Poise, decision making, accuracy are the three things that I try and really hone in on. Poise, um, I give the check mark to Watson. Uh, accuracy and decision making, though, I, I give a slight edge to Trubisky. So that's why I have him one spot ahead. Uh, but let's see. Let's uh, let's get a chance. I'm gonna eventually get a chance to watch every game these guys have played on tape, and uh, we'll see where they go from there. But uh, they're they're right there, kind of on that borderline for me in the in the late first round. You know, I think it's interesting. The quarterback position is interesting this year because I don't know if there's necessarily a clear-cut favorite, and it will come down to ultimately going to the ice cream shop and trying to figure out what flavor do you like for your team. But there's certainly some intriguing candidates. All are athletic. All kind of bring about a little bit of that dual threat, dual threat ability. One thing that stands out um, at 40 
Some of you surprised. Cam Robinson from Alabama, the offensive tackle. First offensive. Now you got your first offensive tackle. You had a kid from Utah. I've got a couple. I got a couple ahead of him. I got the Utah. Uh, a few and spots uh, up there. Ramsick from Wisconsin. Yeah, Ramsick from Wisconsin. I think is the best guy. And then really we've got uh, uh, from Western Kentucky uh, a guy who I think is one of the one of the really really good players. I'm going to project him inside to guard, uh, but I've got him way up there. Forrest Lamp. Uh, talk about Cam Robson. What, what you like? What don't you like? Yeah, look, he's got a big physical frame. He's got the, the power to move people in the run game. Balance and pass protection is an issue. He is just on the ground way too much. Uh, when you're when you're great in offensive lineman, one there's something to be said for just staying on your feet. And and when you watch him uh, scouting, when you're when you're taking notes, we'll write down OTG right on the ground. On the ground. When I yeah. when I went through my notes, I had OTG starts so many times in every game. He's just he's on the ground constantly, and, and that bothered me. So I don't know how he's going to uh, you know completely hold up in a pure NFL dropback system and pass protection. They move the quarterback around in Alabama. A lot of stuff off play action, boots, waggles, all that stuff. Um, so you know I, I don't think he's really had to just hang in there and and sustain people on pass protection, and that worries me a little bit. Okay, let's say this, because I'm going to throw this name out and see if there are any similarities between uh, Cam Robinson and Greg Robinson that went to the L.A. Rams uh, a few years ago was a top pick, but he has really struggled kind of acclimating to the pro game. Do you see some of those same struggles, or well, I, is it I just the fact that he's always think, on the ground? Yeah, look, I think that uh, Greg Robinson's been on the ground a bunch in, with the Rams, but Greg Robinson was such a more explosive quick-footed athlete, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that you see that same type of athleticism here. Now, obviously, Cam Robinson started a lot of football, and I think he's more instinctive. It's more natural to him um, than it was for Greg Robinson. But Greg Robinson was just a physical specimen. Yeah, I agree. All right, so then we got the last 10, 41 through 50. What you got? All right, let's go through the end of it here. We've got Curtis Samuel. Um, who is a very, very explosive player from uh, from Ohio State, plays some wide receiver, plays some running back. Got Demarcus Walker, um, a defensive end slash D-tackle from Florida State. Caleb Brantley, D-tackle from Florida. Cooper Cup, wide receiver from Eastern Washington. Marlon Humphrey is one of the toughest guys for me to evaluate from Alabama. Uh, corners, 45, followed by Marcus Williams, safety from Utah. Another Alabama player, Ryan Anderson, who we saw you know was phenomenal in the championship game. Chad Hansen, a wide receiver from Cal, comes in at 48. Jordan Lewis, corner from Michigan. And then Kevin King, the other corner for the Washington Huskies, rounds out to 50. Man, you have some nice names. And some of these names are surprising. We've talked a little bit about Cooper Cup in the past, so I'm going to scroll down a little bit. And I'm going to talk about Chad Hansen from from California. I don't know if a lot of people on the national scene know much about this kid. Tell me about the wide receiver from California. Why you like him? Yeah, good. good. He's a six foot three. He's probably maybe a little bit under six three. The tall, uh, lanky kid who's got some real, real vertical speed and just tracks the ball naturally. He's not a physical guy. Um, he's not going to do a ton of dirty work in, underneath, but he's a vertical stretch receiver that can high point the ball, can track it, and I think is going to be outstanding in the red zone with what he can bring to the table. So. Uh, he's a very interesting player. Now, they had so many other wideouts there. He got kind of buried. I believe he's a transfer from Idaho State. Um, so, transferred yeah. into Cal. But, man, he is uh, he has been a really, really fun player for me to watch. 
you know, he he's a big time player. I watched him a couple games where he just blows the top off the defense. And so anytime you have an opportunity to get a guy that can make plays, that can be that complimentary guy on the backside of your number one receiver, you certainly draw interest. And normally that is the sweet spot for your speedsters, the second and third round. So where you have a peg, puts them right there in the middle of the second round, which is where a lot of those speedsters kind of have a tendency to go off the board. Yeah, it was funny. I had uh, he missed a couple games this year due to injury. So um, some of the he obviously didn't have any numbers in those two games and got hurt, I believe, against the Oregon State. Uh, I want to say in that game. So he only had he had four catches in that. But when I went back and looked at his game log, Bucky, because you're just kind of going through, like, golly, this guy's making a lot of plays. Let me give you some of the games he had this year: fourteen for one sixty and two touchdowns, fourteen for one ninety and a touch, twelve for one ninety six, two touches, ten for one ten a touch. 11 for 139, 7 for 114, and 10 for 156. He had all those games this year. So uh, he made the most of his time there. It was a, not a very good football team at Cal, uh, but they had, uh, you know, Davis Webb's got some ability at the quarterback position, and, and he was he was the guy. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's a big-time playmaker. So uh, there's a lot. I mean, you got a lot of, a lot of stuff, like these summaries. So uh, our listeners have to make sure they come back to the top 50, read through the summaries, uh, particularly because we got a lot of guys that are interested in the scouting biz, interested in breaking into it. This is a nice snapshot of the summaries that we have to submit in our reports, which we ultimately read to the general manager and head coaches when it's our turn to present our cases on the guys from our area. Yeah, you know, the goal, you know, you don't know if you're ever going to succeed with it, but the goal is that – you know, if you haven't seen any of these players and maybe some of these smaller school guys are, are guys you haven't had a chance to watch in college, hopefully you can kind of read the summary and it, it give you a picture of what they look like and how they play and, and what you're getting in him as a player. So that's that's the goal when you write these reports. Obviously, this is a little bit uh, uh, shorter format here on the media side than what we did for the teams, but hopefully it serves that same purpose. And like I said, Buck, I've I've got so many more guys to watch. Um, yeah, I'm going to be uh, cramming here in the hotel over the next few days and, and down in Mobile as well and get a chance to see these guys at the All-Star Games. Maybe somebody jumps out from there and we can see some movement. But it's just, just you know, it's a lot easier. My dad, you know, is uh, he writes a lot of books, and he always said it's a lot easier to revise a book than it is to to, uh, to sit down and, and write the first draft. So once you oh, get the up. first draft of the up. list up there, that's the hard part. Now we can tinker and toy with it. You know, it is tough. It's tough coming up with it because you're coming up with it kind of blind. And so it takes a lot to um, kind of project, and you want to be conservative with your grades at the outset. But, look, man, I think you've done enough work. You've been around the business enough. Uh, I'm sure you're in the right neighborhood. We'll continue to work on getting these guys to the right house. Can I – I know you haven't come – I know you've done it. I know it hasn't uh, hit the sh- hit the shelves yet. Hasn't hit the NFL.com yet. I know it's on the way. <laughs> but since we have loyal listeners here, can we get a sneak peek of uh, of the Bucky Brooks? Oh, uh, man, you know, like here? a lot of these – a lot of a lot of the stuff that we talk about, like there are a lot of similarities. Uh, the top five is a little different um, in terms of um, how I kind of – elected to go about them. Uh, I did more of a general consensus after talking to some guys like top fives and those things. And so um, the one thing that I think when I look at your top 50 versus what I had, let's see what stood out to me. Oh, a wide receiver. Man, yeah, wide receiver. My top five are wide receivers. 
I had Williams, Davis, Ross, Juju Smith, Schuster, and then Isaiah Ford. But I had a tie at five, and I hate doing ties. But I yeah. actually like D.D. Westbrook a little bit from Oklahoma more than I thought I would after I looked at the tape. Um, and it's early, but he did some things from a route running thing that I was intrigued by. I don't like his size because he's only 173 pounds, some 75 pounds. But I like some of the things that he did. And I think that would be something that we'll end up talking about the differences um, between this wide receiver crew. Uh, when it comes to the tackle class, uh, I mean, very, very similar in terms of how we rank those guys. Um, on defense, um, you know, how do you do those edge rushers? Can, can, you, can you give me your edge rushers? Uh, let's see, edges, defensive end. How do I have? I had Miles Garrett, uh, Jonathan Allen, had Derek Barnett, uh, Solomon Thomas, uh, I think Marcus Walker is somewhere up there. Because uh, I think I moved McKinley to outside linebacker. Like, this is the okay. toughest thing when we're doing the position stuff is where does he really rank? I should have hybrids and that stuff. But McKinley, Takaris, yeah. I had him as one of my top outside linebackers right behind Tim Williams, but before Ryan Anderson and Jared Davis. And uh, the kid who was kind of a an enigma for me was looking at Devontae Fields at outside linebacker. Trying yeah, to figure yeah out I have to do him. I haven't got a chance to get him done yet. Yeah, his reputation is probably a little bit better than his film work, but I have him up there until I really can do a deep dive on him. Um, the one surprise that I had compared to your corners, I still had Marlon Humphreys kind of near the top. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't done, like, the full extensive study, so I kind of had those guys in the neighborhood, Lattimore, Humphrey, Jones, T. Taylor, Quincy Wilson, but there's plenty of time to do those things. I think the one thing that stood out to me, um, there are a lot of big corners, as I call them, guys that are six foot or taller. Teams that prefer those guys can certainly find one or two of those corners in this draft because they're a boatload of them, and that's uncommon yeah, Mar- for the position. Marlon Humphrey's a guy that's that, that is going to be uh, he's definitely going to be polarizing. Just talking to people at these practices down here about him, you know, because you've got the height, weight, speed. He's going to blow it out. He is going to run fast. He is big. He's obviously got great genes with his dad there and Bobby Humphrey. So there's a lot to like there. To me, my issue with him is everything's great. He just hadn't been able to find the ball, and he's given up some big plays, Ole Miss uh, big plays, got beat up in the Arkansas game a little bit. Uh, Washington, uh, Pettis got on top of him for a touchdown. So he, he's, he's, uh, he's given up some plays, but, man, he's, his physical, uh, just God-given ability is, is outstanding. So he's going to be one that I imagine when it's all said and done, it's probably going to work his way back into the first round for me. It's just uh, uh, right now I just have a tough time getting over that ball awareness. Yep. No, I think. I mean, I think. I think there's something to that, and I also think when you look at the struggles Alabama corners have had in the league, I mean, sometimes it's hard not to grade the helmet when you look at those guys because we've seen a bunch of those guys go to the league, but not many of their cornerbacks have ended up being stars at the next level when we come to thinking about Pro Bowls and all pro recognition based on where they've been drafted and what they were supposed to be able to do. All right, Bucky. Before we wrap up here, don't look at the corner of your room. How much does the Fiji water cost in the room? Oh, uh, you know, I checked it out early. It's like seven dollars. <laughs> seven bucks, man. My, uh, I got so no refill on my regular water here, so I'm dying of thirst. And it's one of those deals. Where I think seven I might be bucks. going to sink. I'm going sink water. I'm not paying seven bucks for a Fiji water. Seven bucks. 
Seven bucks. You have to experience that one, DJ. You have to experience the seven dollar one. Yes, so. <laughs> All right, hey, well, it's good catching up. I'll uh, I'll see you down there at practice tomorrow. But uh, thought it was fun to get a little episode in here, a little uh, little East West uh, top fifty version of the Move the Six podcast. We'll have another one on Thursday from here, uh, but we'll be previewing the uh, the big games coming up this weekend in the NFL. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, be sure to continue to uh, to send us questions on Twitter, Bucky. Your handle at Bucky Brooks, correct? Yep. Yep. I'm, uh, at, I'm at Move the Sticks, so hit us up with your questions. We're going to get ready to get it real thick into draft season here. and uh, we'll, we'll set aside some time to try and knock out some of those questions if we can here. But we appreciate you listening, appreciate you subscribing, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts.